So many of us who were abused or neglected as kids end up keeping our lives really small and unambitious only because going for big goals, you know, being seen, really going for it, it takes so much vulnerability. And even trying for a big goal can feel like it's going to shatter you. Dealing with people, that can be an extra trigger. It sets off neurological dysregulation that scatters your focus. It sends your emotions way up so high that you can't even function. And yes, these reactions driven by trauma can complicate the steady, courageous work that it takes every day to move forward with a big vision for your life, a big career move. So if it involves promoting yourself and being seen, you can add one more layer to it that can be really hard for people with trauma. My letter today is from a woman I'll call Aviva. And she writes, Anna, hi. I could really use your advice on a career-related issue, both as a CPTSD survivor and a public figure. Ooh, a public figure. We don't do that every day, okay. She says, I'm, I, have my, I have my fairy pencil here. I'm gonna circle what Aviva says here that I wanna come back to on a second reading, but let's go through and see what's going on. She says, I'm 32 and I spent my 20s working in marketing. Deep down, I've always wanted to be a songwriter ever since I was a little girl. So two years ago, I decided to stop living small and give songwriting a chance. It turns out I'm a natural at it and my songs are already winning competitions and I'm doing objectively well. Wow, artists and producers love working with me. That's so cool. So it's going well on paper, she says. The problem is that I'm constantly emotionally dysregulated and trapped in toxic shame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. I don't know how to handle these feelings. Writing songs is great, but being in the public eye and opening my heart for everyone to see and judge, that just kills me. <laughs> yeah. I feel I'm completely at other people's mercy. I've been trying to cope with the shame by staying in the shadows, but as a female songwriter, I've also come to realize that no one else is going to advocate for my work. The music business is a particularly narcissistic and male-centered one. I've already experienced others taking credit for my work, which has been a wake-up call to start speaking up for myself. Otherwise, it will cost me work opportunities. It's the first time in my life I've created an Instagram account and started posting about my life and work, which also activates my inner critic and sends me into a spiral of shame every time. I'm also trying to do some PR, which I've done plenty, plenty for other people and organizations in my career, but contacting journalists and essentially saying, hey, I'm amazing, write about me is particularly mortifying, regardless if I get published or not. When working in groups of producers and artists, I also tend to take this very motherly assistant role. Uh-oh, uh-oh, red alert. <laughs> so I, I write the songs and then I also help manage and support talent to make sure everything gets done properly and on time. A little bit like a nerd doing homework for the cool kids. Someone just grateful to be included. Ah, oh, that's a good analogy. So my question is, do you recommend people with CPTSD to even choose a career in the limelight? Does it ever get easier? Because right now it feels pretty awful. How have you coped with it? <laughs> Honestly, my skin is about as thick as a burn victim's. Uh, burns aren't funny, but that's a, yeah, that's, that's, I know what you mean. And I don't know if it ever gets better. Have you managed to maybe dissociate your public self from your private one? 
What a question. This is so interesting. Okay. I still hope I will come out the other side stronger. Someone who claims their space in the world. I feel I owe it to the little girl, but should I keep pushing through and ignore my natural impulses and emotions about it? Or should people with PTSD stay away from industries that are this competitive, filled with lots of rejection and invalidating people, and require this constant pushing and marketing of self? Will it ever start feeling egocentonic? What does that mean? Like, like doesn't make you feel like an egomaniac? Your help would be most appreciated. All right, this is from Aviva. I love your letter, and um, I know you know what I'm gonna say, and I know that's why you wrote to me. To me, it's just funny, like, should people who had trauma stay away from creative pursuits? It's like, that's all that's there. Let's think about all the actors, all the comedians, all the great filmmakers. I mean, trauma is part of what makes us colorful characters. So no, this is not a disqualifier. It is not a disqualifier. So I'm jumping the gun. That was like your big question, but along the way, you told me some things about yourself. Um, you always wanted to write songs and it's going well. I mean, to be 32 and have that going well, is so cool and I know you know that but please give yourself credit like a lot of people do music and write songs maybe they can do some gigs some open mics but like this is good you're getting to a level and I loved what you said the nerd who does homework for the cool kids that's a way in the door Aviva you're in the door but now you have to be feisty and start to do your own thing there. So it's great, it's great writing songs for other people. Many good people started that way. Many great songwriters started that way. As you know, writing songs for other people or producing music for other people and they became superstars themselves. So, so no problem there, it is a way in the door. So good for you. So then you're saying the problem is you get emotionally dysregulated and trapped in toxic shame. You and me and all of us, it's okay. It's okay, you're not trapped. You're getting a trauma reaction, and that's okay. It is inherently very weird to promote oneself, especially if you've been conditioned that nice girls don't do that. But here's the thing. So I used to be a comedian, and uh, I was on the phone all the time, and I had this skit trio down in L.A. This was right after college. And we were doing open mics four nights a week and sometimes paid gigs. We were constantly working because I was getting on the phone, and I was asking, and I was pushing it, and I was working really hard, as you are. And that is how it's done. And when I was doing comedy, I met some famous comedians. And um, one of them, for example, Jay Leno, all right? You want to know what was just like singularly noticeable about that man is every time he showed up in an open mic, he had new material. Like he was always writing new material. I was like, oh, that's the difference between him and everybody else. Like he was writing new material all the time. You know, a lot of people here will remember he hosted the Tonight Show and he's even retired now. Oh gosh, I'm dating myself. But he's, you know, he's a very successful comedian. And um, I met the guy who did the voice of SpongeBob and I met um, other famous people along the way um, who ended up being great film directors of funny movies who I really admire and respect, but I'll tell you, all of them, they had this thing in common. They, they were just like single-mindedly focused on trying to get ahead. They didn't let their fears get the better of them. Now in the comedy world, it's probably even like more <laughs> traumatized people than in music. Music has a lot, music has a lot of them. Music's got a lot of the people who have problems with drugs and alcohol, that's for sure. There's, there's um, you know, mental health issues all up and down the creative industries. <laughs> and we don't have those for no reason, Aviva, you know, there's, there's like stuff there and it's hard, but it's also part of 
what makes us have interesting things to say, to have astute observations, to be able to um, really have a keen sense of beauty. And thankfully, people don't have to have trauma to be great artists, songwriters, comedians, writers. They don't have to, but it sure helps. And it also helps to be scrappy. You know, so you ask, how do I deal with it? I, there's no separation at all between who I am in real life and who I am as the fairy. I'll tell you the only thing that's a little odd is that people I know in real life, they barely even know about crappy childhood fairy. Like I've told them, but they're not very interested and nobody asks me. And this will sound a little bit bitter, but I think when you're my age and you're a woman, like people don't ask you what you do. So unless they ask what I do, even then, it's kind of funny. I went, so once, um, my son and I needed to get a motel, but I, I didn't have a wallet and I had no ID. And if you can't, if you don't, I have a credit card in my pocket, but no ID. And if you don't have ID, you can't have a hotel room. And I said, I know I can prove who I am. <laughs> Look up crappy childhood fairy on YouTube. And they looked it up and they were like, Oh my God, ma'am. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they were so amazed. And, um, and that's what happens when I first thought of crappy, the name crappy childhood fairy, I was making a few videos and I had a blog, but I came out and I announced to my kids who were then teenagers. I said, I'm going to call it crappy childhood fairy. And they were like, no mom, mom, no, <laughs> like nobody could see me that way. Nobody saw it coming. I didn't even see, I kind of, I've always been this person and this is always what I've loved to do. And I did it on a much smaller scale and one-on-one. -on -one. But when I started Crappy Childhood Fairy, the thing is, if I hadn't have started, you know, having courses that cost money and bring in income, I could not have continued. I used to post like once every three weeks and it took everything. I'd do a drawing, I'd write an article. And then one day I made a video and I had to pay people to make the video. So I could barely do it. So then I was like, Somebody told me, you're going to have to like bring in some revenue or, you know, no money, no mission. You can't, you're not going to be able to serve people if you can't make it something that supports you. And I really needed to hear that because I, I was programmed with that idea that helping people, you know, and what I do is definitely categorized as helping people. Whereas music is more like entertainment or something, but obviously it brings great joy to the world and meaning and touches our hearts and becomes historic and legendary. There's so much there but you're going to have to support yourself, right? And to support yourself, you have to also have this part of yourself that is a business person that thinks about what will people buy? Now, if you're creative or you're in any kind of business to be tuned into like, what is it that's valuable enough for people that they will want to, you know, sign you, book you, bring you on buy your song, whatever it is that you're trying to do to make your living, the fact that people will buy it is the ultimate validation. And I love that. There are some people who have this idea, like if you're in the business of helping people or if you're doing art, that charging for it is vulgar and selfish. Forget that. Those people, they cannot be in your life. They're full of it. They're, I don't know, what do they have? Trust funds or something? You know, a lot of us, it's a, it, takes a, it takes a tremendous act of will to become somebody to to liberate what is creative and great in yourself it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of showmanship it takes a lot of salesmanship and there's just no way around it i can think of a couple of examples where other people ended up taking on the salesmanship for somebody right but i'm thinking of famous musicians like some people got famous um, Justin Bieber, you know, there was like a little video of him as a toddler playing drums or something. It's very little. And people started to notice him and he got invited to go visit a producer and things happened for him. But make no mistake, he's had to work really hard all his life 
to become, you know, Justin Bieber. And I know people were, I don't mean to single him out personally or anything, but he's somebody who sort of got discovered in the first place. And yet it became a great deal of work and doing a lot of things I'm sure don't feel easy or comfortable or natural to him so that he can do what is easy and comfortable and natural for him. And so if that's your calling is music, it feels good to do the music, but you won't get to do it very much except when you're tired after your day job, if you can't embrace this part of the job too. And this is, there's great dignity in selling your work. Um, it's, it's, it goes back through all time. It's beautiful and dignified and respectable and part of it. So when I broke through my sales barrier, it was in a business before this, when I started my video production company, it was 2008. And this was before Ferry. Ferry didn't hatch until 2016. In 2008, the economy was terrible. Everybody I knew was laid off. And I suddenly didn't have consulting work. And I was a single mom. I had to do something. And um, the guy I was dating, who I'm now married to for 10 years next week, yay. <laughs> he showed me links to some podcasts about how to make cold calls. And I was like, Ooh, cold calls. Only slimy people make cold calls. It's like, no, only people who succeed make cold calls and no one minded. No one minded. I mean, most people, they don't pick up the phone. You're not going to have to make the kind of calls I made, but you know what I did? I got a list of 150 people I knew who still had jobs and I sent them an email and said, Hey, I make videos now. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I've been just saying in videos lately, I learned on Google how to do it. And I connected with a couple of freelancers who could help me. And I convinced people you need to have a video on your website. And they were like, no, no, that's silly. And most of them, most of them never replied. And some of them said maybe, but didn't do anything. But the first day I called 10 people and three of them said, yes, come on, let's talk. And one of them turned into like a big, long ongoing client. Very proud of that. Help me get over it. Cause you know what, when you really are worried about money, it is such a godsend to get a big project. That's going to pay the bills for several months. That's a very big blessing. And that's how we, get it is by being brave and being honest. It's like, here's what I can do for you. This is what I can do for you. I always found comfort in trying to stay very honest about what it is. And with crappy childhood fairy, that effort continues that I try not to oversell it. You know, I can't cure CPTSD. I can't fix everybody, but I can teach you what the symptoms look like. And I can show you strategies to heal the symptoms. And when I know that I'm acting out of integrity and being honest, I can confidently get up there and every video I make, I'm like saying here, have a download at the end. You know, and when you download something, you know, what I get from that is you just become a little more likely to become somebody who takes a course from me someday. Most people don't. That's a very small percent, but it's enough that I can do this full time. And it's enough that even my husband could quit his job and come work full time and that we could have some contractors here who help us with everything, the sales, the marketing, but I'm the one here talking to you on YouTube, how it's done. And at the end of it, I will tell you about a download. So I really want to encourage you to do the work of your soul, of your calling on this planet by supporting yourself and, and not just thinking it's somehow more dignified for you to give away your great art to somebody else. Now, some people that is a calling for some people is to be the, the person behind the person who's great and out there, everybody who's great and famous and contributing great things does have people behind them. And their calling is to support that person. Possibly that's you, but the way it like offends you and feels it grieves you. I don't think it is. I think you're meant to be making your own music.
So you got to give yourself a chance. And I know you're going to have to embrace this part where you sell and feel good about it. So here's what you do. Here's what I do. Everything that you do that is like trying to make your life a little bigger, not smaller. See, we, we do, we make our lives smaller because, because it's scary and uncomfortable and it's triggery, right? When you make your life bigger, it's like, oh, it's going to trigger, it's going to trigger you. You're going to get all dysregulated and your CPTSD symptoms are going to come out and you're going to have all that like negative self-talk. You know, what we call that is fear. <laughs> fear, resentment itself. Shame is resentment itself. Guilt is resentment itself. The thing about the industry um, being, being male and narcissistic and uh, other adjectives, um, I know what you mean. I know what you mean, but it would do you good to get my daily practice and start getting that, the fear that it's like that, because that's, that can also those, like whatever is true about that, um, can really get in the way your mind will grab onto it as a reason why you can't express your gift. So don't let it do that. Get those fears on paper, you know, fear the industry is narcissistic. Fear only men can ascend to great levels. Fear I'll never get a chance. Fear I'm not good enough. Fear blah blah blah. Fear this is undignified to ask for ask for work and put myself out there. <sighs> I really want you to succeed. And so I want you to get over this fear. Um, so you can do what I do if you choose and I take paper twice a day and I write. Uh, my daily practice, fears and resentments. Don't just write anything. It's a specific technique to actually get free of it. Get free of it for a while. Some of our fearful and resentful thoughts are actually, you know, plans in the works. They're not things that we're discarding, but we get a break from them when we release them. You don't actually have to ruminate on every thought you have and every feeling you have. So this anxious, angry stuff, it gets on paper and we ask for it to be removed and then we meditate and often in that spacious peaceful time of resting and meditation i'm almost kidding because when you have cptsd meditation is very chatty in your head anyway it's okay but these ideas come to you ideas come to you sometimes and you sort of go oh i know who i should call or i have a word i want to add to that email i send and I love the function when you, like I said, if you're selling something, it is feedback for you. So when I made my first course, which was Healing Childhood PTSD, I made it, I put it out there at the time I had, I think I had like 60 people on Facebook or something. Yeah, it was very small, but five people paid a hundred bucks. That was the initial price, a hundred bucks. And later as I had more to offer, I adjusted the pricing more for what it's worth and you know, set up a whole system where you can get a membership with all the courses, you get free webinars, you get group coaching, you get the Facebook group, or you can just get one course at a time. I'm incentivizing people. I want them to actually be in the membership. You know why? Because they're going to be much more successful. And so I, but I, I don't dictate how people engage with my content. Most of it is free. It's, you know, there's like 700 plus videos here on YouTube. There's a lot of downloads, there's blog posts. So most of it's free. And I think there's like millions of people engaged with my content, which delights me. And there's enough of them who come into my inner circle, which costs money that I get to make a living and do this full time and have help from people who help. We have a community manager. We have two coaches. You know, this is a beautiful business. And the whole thing is something that I created with my team and we continue to unfold. What a joy it is to be using what you were really made to do. So try the daily practice. See if it helps you get free of this idea that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And so that's what I'm going to leave you with. If anybody here, you want to take my daily practice course, it takes about an hour to learn the techniques and try them. It's just videos and a download that guide you through it. And then there's 
two dozen FAQ videos with the fine points of like, why do we do it that way? What if this happens? Wait, I'm confused. I've answered all of that. And it's assembled in this nice free course. And if you take it, you'll be invited to come to free Zoom calls with me that I do every two weeks. They're delightful. Hundreds of people come from around the world. I take questions. And it's my favorite thing about Crappy Childhood Fairy. All of this grew because I was willing to put myself out there in the way that you're thinking about doing right now. So, and I still get to be myself. I don't have to be a fake self. I just feel good about, I feel good about my work involving some amount of outreach to attract people to it. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.